0: Hear the word of the Lord, from Luke sixteen nineteen through 31. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Please grant me justice against my adversary. Adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come back and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord.
1: Have you ever bugged somebody so much that they changed their mind about something? You don't have to tell me the situations. You can just raise your hand if you've ever bugged somebody so much that they actually changed their mind about something. Yeah. Yeah, okay. There's this is this guy, his uh, name is Sal Segoyan. It's a really cool name. But uh, I like him a lot because he worked for this little company called Apple. And it's no secret if you know me that I am a huge Apple fan. I'm a fanboy. I love all Apple products. And the contribution he made to the Apple world is uh, through the world of automation. So automation is basically you tell your computer to do something, and it will do it for you, and it's magical. And you don't have to do much stuff to it. Uh, he basically changed the way a lot of people interact with their computers and with their phones and, and everything. And the way that he made that happen uh, a couple decades ago is that he sat outside Steve Jobs' office and just sat there until he basically listened to him and said, okay, show me what you have, Sal. And Sal went up and represented all of his people and all of his teams to one of the most... Um, sometimes grumpy decision-maker CEOs in all of like, the major companies in the world, who is uh, notoriously ruthless, Sal went up to him and said, I think this needs to be in there, and he changed the world because he was persistent. Some other ways, that, there's examples of persistence in my world. As some people may say, uh, I was persistent and getting my wife to notice me, to care for me, to love me, <laughs> to even go out on a date with me. But it worked out. I was a persistent single guy in that situation. But we like, we like persistence. We have a whole good story about this little train engine that could, right? He just kept going and he kept going and he kept going. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Persistence is something to be celebrated. Uh, we call it stick to itness. Uh, they have a never give up attitude. Uh, that person really gets what they want when they stick their minds to it. So, the persistent widow, it kind of resonates with us. And if you read this scripture, the parable of the persistent widow. Some of it, some Bibles might call it the parable of the unjust judge. Uh, it's this this widow is like I'm going to get what is. Rightfully mine, justice. I'm going to get justice. But I don't think that's what this parable is about at all. It's not about justice. I don't even think it's about persistence a lot of the times, which is going to be crazy, but stick with me. I think this parable is about preparation. This parable is about our state of being and how we as Christians, followers of Jesus, are supposed to be existing in this world. It could be easy to think it's about justice because the the climax of the story is this widow gets justice by being persistent. And the the attribute of God that is revealed is, uh, you know, God is going to be much more just than this unjust judge. But if we try to go deeper into the understanding and not skip over the very first sentence of this parable, which is, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Scripture doesn't always, especially Jesus' parables, don't always give us The clear meaning of the whole parable right at the very beginning. This is a nice gift for us. He told his disciples a parable to what? To show them that they should always pray and not give up. Always pray and not give up. This word, though, is is the word then. It's an important word that takes us even deeper and even uh, further into understanding why is Jesus telling us this parable right now? Because if we're looking at the the arc of his life where Jesus is in this parable, he is on his last trip to Jerusalem. He is going to Jerusalem for the very last time. And what happens in Jerusalem? He gets judged as an innocent man. He gets uh, ultimately mocked and um, scorned and hung on a cross to die. So Jesus is telling this story in the middle of his last trip to Jerusalem, where he knows that he is going to die. In fact, at this point, he's already told his disciples two times, I'm going to die, and they have not gotten it. He says it a third time later, they don't get it. Because what they think is going to happen when Jesus is going to sit on the throne is they think, what, that Jesus is going to come in, Jesus is going to conquer the whole world, he's going to get rid of the secular government, he's going to uh, punish all the people who are sinners, he's going to sit atop the throne and rule God's chosen people, and he's going to make everything good and religious. And so those people, the, the disciples, the people following Jesus, are not really understanding what's about to come. So he tells this parable because that's how Jesus teaches through questions and through parables of this. And so I'm going to read scripture actually that comes before this. So this is a a Bible reading pro tip for you. If you read a chunk of scripture, you should always read before and after. Especially when there's a, a connecting word like then. That doesn't exist all by itself. This has something to do with what came before it. And so we actually have already read some of the scripture. We follow something called the lectionary journey uh, for most of the time, which is a three-year reading cycle. And uh, you can find this every, you can go to lectionary in Google, and it will show you what next week's gospel reading is going to be. But we have looked at some of Luke already. Uh, The story of the uh, the master and the slave, which was the story that uh, we do work, because God has called us to do work, not because we are looking for a reward, we're not looking for pats on the back, but we do the work God has called us to do, and it is good because God has called us to do it. We looked at the faith of the mustard seed, where the disciples Jesus said, "You have to forgive these people over and over again and over and over again, and the disciples says, "I need more faith and Jesus says, "If you have the faith of a mustard a mustard seed, you should be able to do it and then we saw last week we read the story of the ten lepers, uh, the ten lepers. Nine of them went back to their life. They got everything back they wanted and thought they desired. One got everything, but he realized that uh, everything was nothing without the healing of Jesus. So he came back and honored Jesus. But then... This lectionary this year skips over this big chunk of scripture. I'm going to read it. It's a big chunk of scripture. So you can listen if you'd like, or you can follow along in your your Bible on your phone, or your paper Bible, or however you want. It won't be on the screen because it is a lot of scripture. But I'm going to read it because I think it really sets the scene of why we're supposed to be praying and never giving up. So this is Luke chapter 17, verse 20 through 37. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or in other words, the kingdom of God is in you. So it's not going to be there, it's not going to be here, because the kingdom of God will be in you. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is, Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. And the same, in the, It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken, and the other left. Where, Lord? they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should pray and never give up. All this stuff, I'm not gonna, now that's a big chunk of scripture, we're not gonna get into all that people gather from that, but we can just say that there's going to be times that are coming up that's not going to be so easy for the followers of Christ. So during all these times, and when the Son of Man has left this earth, because he's going to go back to heaven before he comes back again, during all that, then pray and never give up. He says, "Where they, they, they want to know, where's this going to happen? Where's this going to happen?" Jesus. He says, "Where there are dead bodies, that's where the vultures will gather." So pray and never give up. He tells the story, and then he ends it with, "When the Son of Man comes back, will they find? Will He find faith on this earth?" That's the whole setup to this parable. Bad times are going to come, but pray and never give up. So now that we have that context of why Jesus is telling this story, we can try to look at some of the characters in this story then. We have the unjust judge. Uh, Like I said, in um, some of the 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 translations, the Bibles, he gets the name of this parable, the parable of the unjust judge. Mine says the parable of the persistent widow. I have a Bible that says the parable of the unjust judge or the persistent widow and the unjust judge. But these two main characters uh, are important to understanding how deep uh, Jesus is trying to get this message to us. The judge is, he's not God-fearing, and he doesn't care about other people. So basically, he just does whatever he wants whenever it suits him. He uh, didn't care about God's love. He did not care about the fact that God loved all people. That's not... Being selfish typically is not a great characteristic for a judge to have. They're supposed to judge the facts, they're supposed to show mercy when mercy is warranted, and they're not supposed to do stuff for themselves. The widow represents the oppressed, the lost, the broken, and, of course, the widows. So, in other words, the least of these. The widow represents the least of these, and basically everybody who should be cared by Uh, cared for by Christians. And she has this injustice that needs to be addressed. We don't know what the injustice is. We don't know if it's a crazy injustice like she's been beaten. We don't know if she just has been slighted in some way. We just know that she has this injustice that needs to be addressed. And uh, I was trying to understand this, and some people could look at this very negatively and say, she just wants revenge on somebody. But it's not about that. It's about actually addressing an injustice in the world. And so, once we get these two characters in there, then we understand that the parables tell a biblical truth about God. The danger of reading this parable is to think that God is somebody who needs to have their door knocked down to do something, to to have their minds changed. And to get justice, you have to constantly just go back and back and back and back and back and back to God persistently. Eventually, he'll just give up, right? God will just give up and just give justice because you just keep asking. That's it. Like, you have desired this thing, you've bugged God enough, and God is going to just give in to whatever desires that you have. But if we're trying to compare God to the judge, we're going to fail. Because in this instance, the judge doesn't give justice because it is the right thing to do. The judge doesn't give justice because he cares about what happens or like he's rectifying something wrong that has happened. He's giving justice because he does not want to be attacked himself. Obviously, this person is persistent enough to show up day after day after day after day. And so if he doesn't do what she wants, he's going to be the next person that's on her list, right? She's going to go to somebody else day after day. But he's worried about being attacked. This is a very selfish thing. It's not justice. It's self-preservation. This story uses a less than, so something else is greater than tool. So, oh, it's really rainy today, so just imagine how great the sun will be. Right, that's a less than. It stinks today that it's rainy and wet. But just imagine how much greater the sun is going to feel when it gets sunny. The judge, look how awful this judge is. Even this godless, uncaring judge will grant justice. So how much greater is God who actually cares about the people that God has created? says, look, even the unjust judge grants justice when somebody bugs him. He doesn't even really care about her. And Jesus says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Now, quickly is a scary word because it feels like as soon as I ask, it should happen. But the justice we're talking about here, you know, this grand salvation that Jesus is going to die for all of our sins, right? You were talking about bad times that are coming ahead. That when justice happens, quickly is not about the timeline of how quick it will happen, but how fast it will happen when it happens. When Jesus returns, his justice will be swift, but he ends the question of this whole parable is, will I find faith on this earth? Will I find faith on this earth? So I think this ending question very clearly points to what Jesus is looking for, and that's faith amongst his believers. Faith is good. We should all have faith. As Christians, we have faith that Jesus is who he says he is, that God is who God says he is, and that the Holy Spirit is within us. We have faith, but we can't just say, I have faith. A lot of people say they have faith, and a lot of people do really bad things in the name of faith the ending question is pointing back to what we're supposed to be doing. Praying and never giving up. We get this faith by praying and never giving up. What is prayer but aligning our hearts and our minds with the will of God? To go to God, the creator, to offer ourselves and our petitions to be lined up with God's will. The whole of the story is a lesson of how we are supposed to wait with and for God in the good times and in the bad times with everything that we have. I think what makes the persistent widow so interesting and so amazing isn't that she got a human person to change their mind. I mean, this the judge, for all that we can gather from his not loving God and not loving other people, is anybody could change his mind with the right amount of money, I'm sure. You know, with the right amount of bribes or the right amount of threats. Obviously, he felt threatened enough to change his mind. So it's, it's impressive that she, she got that to happen, but that's not what makes her impressive to me. What makes her impressive to me is that she used everything she had at her disposable, disposal to pursue what she thought was Right? It was a whole-of-her-being effort. It wasn't, uh, I have a couple dollars I'm going to throw his way. It's not, I'm going to go there, um, you know, I'm going to try a couple times and give up. And just, it was everything she had. All she had as a widow, right? She is, in this this um, culture, there's no male representative to care for her, To to advocate for her. Obviously, the person who... Ha- had the injustice against her. It was getting away with it, so she didn't matter very much. She used all that she could. So I think there are two things we can learn from this this character. One, faith will take work and persistence, even in the midst of an unjust world. There are injustices that are happening all around this world right now to Christians and non-Christians alike. The other thing I think we can learn is that followers of God can really drop the ball sometimes when it comes to caring for the least of these, the the widows and the orphans and the people who are suffering injustices. And so what, what, what would it look like if we used everything we had, like the widow, to care for those who are hurting or lost, sick, broken, or familyless? And I think that... Um, if we're not careful, then this can be just a, a message that people hear that it's all about action and nothing about faith. But it is by our faith and our communion with God that we are driven to action. There are a lot of people who want to see really good things happen in this world, but not always for the best reasons. They're doing it because they want to be famous or they want to, to uh, have clout or... But we do what we do. We seek justice and we seek everything because we are in relationship with God. I think it's James, I don't know, I should have checked this, but James says, show me your uh, faith without actions and I'll show you a dead faith. Right? We do things out of our faith because we are, communion, we are in communion with God. And so the next question then I think I had is, what would it look like if we offered our whole lives to be in communion with God? Not just I'm going to put a couple dollars in the offering plate, or I'm going to show up to one event a year to help volunteer, or what if we give everything we had and everything we do to be in communion with God? I was listening to, in preparation for this, I was listening to a podcast that they were talking about this parable, and the host said, uh, if you're in a relationship with God... If your relationship with God is one of pounding on God's door to make him do something for you, you should change your relationship with God. Because this parable is not about getting God to do something that we want God to do for selfish reasons, because in the end, that is still selfish. It's still my wants and my needs and my desires above God. So if your relationship consists of you pounding on the door only to get God to do what you want God to do, then we should change our relationship with God. God already hears our cries. We should continue to pray. (laughs) Don't, Don't mishear me on that. But just because God hears our cries, unfortunately, for whatever reason, I don't have the answer for, Jesus has not come back yet. Until Jesus comes back, we are called to pray and to never give up pray and never give up pray and never give up so if you hear only one thing from this whole message is pray and never give up that is how we wait pray and never give up and only through that will Jesus find faithfulness among the people that claim to be his followers and so here's the I'm not asking you to be a super prayer warrior in the fact that I'm not asking you to wake up 15 minutes earlier from your precious morning sleep to pray 15 minutes extra early in the morning. I'm not asking you to pray for a half hour at, at lunch at work so other people can see how good of a Christian you are. I'm not asking you to even like go out and, and demand that prayer be put back in all the spots that it has been taken out of. I'm not asking you to do any of that stuff. I'm asking you to make your whole life a prayer to God to pray and to never give up. Because we we had this challenge a few weeks ago. Jonathan had this challenge of uh, how many times a day do you think about the name of Jesus? Like how often is your life and your thoughts focused on Jesus? And the challenge was, you know, try and think about Jesus once every 10 minutes, every five minutes, every one minute for an hour to see how that changes your conclusion. Because our lives should be a constant prayer so that we give everything that we can and all our resources so that we are generous beyond compare, that we can leverage our abilities, our influences, and our resources in prayer to God. Not for, not for uh, recognition as us as individuals or for the church, but to show off God in all that we do. Continuous prayer shifts our focus of God from the death benefit Jonathan mentioned last week, that you know being a Christian is more than a death benefit, to a way of life that will give hope not only to you, but to your family and to those around you. It was kind of perfect that today's prayer was joy, that joy for us and the hope that we have can be the daytime in our neighbor's nighttime, that all that we do, we recognize that Jesus is there, the Holy Spirit is transforming our lives, and we do that by praying and never giving up. Praying and never giving up. (laughs) Praying and never giving up. And the one thing that we can do, uh, and the one thing that we practice here in the church is the communion table. This is a recognition of, of centering on God, and all that we do is centered on what Jesus did for us, for me, for you, for all of the people that aren't inside this building, and even all the people who haven't recognized Jesus as their Savior yet. This table the sacrifice is a prayer that we practice in over and over again, a means of grace, a way to, to give us encouragement to continue on. To never give up. Because even in this parable, and Jesus knew that he was going to the cross to die, and even in that fear and that worry, because remember, Jesus is 100% human and 100% God. So Jesus was nervous about going to the cross too, and he kept going with one foot in front of the other so we can gather here together as a body of believers so that if Jesus came back right now, because of our lives in prayer, there would not be vultures circling overhead of us. And hopefully, that influence goes on beyond just me, but all those around me as well.